Hey listeners, before we get into today's podcast, I want to thank today's sponsors, first of which is Pretentious Pickles, um, our good friends at Pretentious Pickles, located right here in Plymouth, Massachusetts on 190 Water Street, um, have a huge variety of pickled items for your um, consumption. There's pickled beets, Brussels sprouts, carrots, mushrooms, cucumbers, you name it, they've put it in a jar and pickled it. They make a phenomenal product and for the second year in a row have been nominated, I'm sorry, not nominated, one uh, best gourmet shop in the South Shore, Massachusetts area. So congratulations to Lorraine and everyone at Pretentious Pickle Company. And if you can't make it to their store, you can stop by www.pretentiouspickle.com and you can place an order online. They'll ship it right to you. Um, it's If you're into pickles, you should definitely check that out. And our second sponsor today is HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less with over 25 recipes to choose from each week. There's something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure delicious and simplicity. And I was just over there on their website checking out uh, what they have to offer. And I'm telling you, it's making me super hungry. We have a prosciutto-wrapped chicken, which I'm such a sucker for prosciutto. Uh, Chicken over garlic parm, which looks delicious. And even a beef tenderloin and brown butter veggies. It's, there's a lot to choose from over there. It looks fantastic. And today they're offering our listeners a discount. You can go to the link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. Uh, welcome oh, back, yeah, Inebriates. Yeah. Uh, this is Andy, the Inebriate Podcast. And if you've been following recent episodes, um, this gentleman's name came up in I don't know, three or four episodes ago. And I was like, hey, that would be a really good person to, to see if we can get on. So uh, we have from Terrifier, he plays Art the Clown, David Howard Thornton. Welcome to the show, man. Hi, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so um, I was actually talking with, um, and of course, I'm blanking on names because that's what I do. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Same here. <laughs> so a recent podcast guest, and he was saying how your Art the Clown, he felt, was one of the most terrifying new, like, horror, I don't know, are they heroes? I mean, franchises? I. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't call him a hero per se, but I guess like, uh, I mean, none I of them are. icon because that just sounds like, you know, you know, self. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but um, I, I guess you, you'd say like hard, hard, villains, but, you know, but they seem it seems weird. You know, the classics, Mike Myers, you know, Leatherface, yeah. Freddy Krueger it's weird to call them villains because that's what everyone tunes in for. Like you could care less who else yeah, is in exactly. the movie. So uh, I think I feel like it needs a new, and it's definitely not an anti-hero. It's 
Yeah, because they're definitely not the heroes. It's just yeah. like the, the new horror, horror, horror dude. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the new dude. So um, was it something that you actively campaigned to get? Did you realize that it was going to be as popular as it is? Like, how did how did that whole thing come about? Oh, gosh, no, no. I, I I had seen All Hallows' Eve before I knew about the auditions. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's that's an awesome role. I would love to have a chance to play that character and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And so, um, you know, the auditions came up and I went in. But, you know, it was just a low-budget movie and everything like that. So I, I did not expect it to take off the way it has i was like okay you know when we're doing it you know i was like oh this is this is great i think it's a cool character but we we're trying to be realistic with ourselves knowing that we were just a small little low budget film so we're just like yeah you know maybe the fans will like it i hope yeah but we didn't expect it just to kaboom like that especially after we got released on netflix it really exploded but yeah i mean that that's a huge thing now with all the f- streaming platforms i think it's a lot easier for lower budget yeah. films to, to find an audience. But uh, the, th- the thing that I find interesting is I used to like way back in the day, I used to have a comic book shop and I would do comic cons and horror conventions. Mm-hmm. And I loved horror conventions because their fans were so oh, yeah. passionate, so passionate, you know, it, it, and that's not like a slight on comic con fans, but it's just like a different mentality. I feel like comic cons, you had collectors who were more interested in like the value of something and horror fans are like, I don't mm-hmm. care. I want that tattooed on my body. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I've i noticed that myself because I've done both the horror cons and like just the big comic cons. And I, I've noticed there's such a difference between the two, especially with the, the crowds that come in. Because, I mean, even at the comic cons, you still get the horror nerds that come over. Oh, sure. And stuff yeah. like that. But it's 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 a different camaraderie there, too. It's like the horror cons, it seems more like a big, huge party. So oh, for sure. There, they're all there. They, everybody has the same interests. They're all there to have fun. At, at Comic Cons, it's like, okay, we're we're coming in just to see these celebrities and buy some items, and then going home and stuff like that. At the end of the day, and it's just, it, it it's, it's weird. It's just, it's it's hard to describe unless you've actually been there and seen the differences between the two cons, and stuff like that. Now, were you always a horror fan? No, I wasn't. I, I was a little bit late to the game, and that was because of my mom, because she was really afraid of horror movies. She, she, she. Oh gosh, she, she thought like movies like The Fall of the House of Usher, you know, the old Vincent Price version, yeah. was one of the scariest movies she had ever seen. So she, <laughs> ooh, she could not handle slashers. <laughs> so she's seen so, your work. We didn't watch them in the house. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, she she passed away. Uh, oh, oh sorry. years ago. But I mean, that's. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now instead of teaching in a classroom. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I have a feeling if she was alive now, she would like, I love you, baby, but I I, I cannot watch this. <laughs> and I'm like, I, and I, I totally understand because I have friends that are like that too. They, like, I, I, I'm proud of you and all that, but I, I cannot watch horror films, especially with clowns. I have one friend that's especially afraid <laughs> of clowns. And she's like, uh, so I like to torment her from time to time, just popping up and like on her thread, just pictures of me. <laughs> like, I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> I, I have a uh, one of my best friends, and she's afraid of um, those kind of like long, skinny bugs. It's basically like a centipede that with like tons of tiny little legs. And just 
periodically oh, yeah. every once in a while i will just text her a picture and she'll open up the picture and i'll just get back you asshole <laughs> <laughs> we we get those things in our apartment from time to time and i'm like oh god these things yeah um so you... one of them bit me too it was oh really like, i did not know those things could bite you but i was like like watching tv a few weeks ago and i just felt this chomp on my leg and i'm like ow <laughs> i look down it's one of those little things crawling away i'm like you little shit i didn't know you could do that <laughs> so you said something about teaching were you a teacher prior to getting into film i was i um have a degree in elementary education okay <laughs> that's a weird joke yeah. to horror movies so yeah yeah most people don't expect yeah. that <laughs> yeah what what brought that transition about uh, it was primarily the the passing of my mom because I I was I was kind of in a downward spiral in my um, last year in college doing my internship. I was had a lot of stuff happen. Like the last year, my mom died, and and then going into my internship, my dog died, Oof. my grandmother died, a friend of mine committed suicide, and my sister married a homeless man who's now in prison for molesting kids. And oh. it's just all this happened in like a month's time. And I'm just like, whoa. And I was, I was just majorly depressed and everything like that. And I was, I, I was just, I was making mistakes left and right that I had never made before. And I'm like, cause my, my head was just not in the right place. And I was doing story time with my kids one day and I was doing all the little voices for the characters. And and I discovered I, I was getting more fulfillment out of entertaining my students than actually teaching them. And I was like, well, this is what I really need to do with my life. This, I think this is my calling. And I, you know, I, I and I'd always wanted to be an actor professionally, but I was trying to be realistic because mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know, as a teacher, I can at least, you know, have a stable income. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a huge income by any means, but at least it's a stable income. And, and I was like, you know what? I, I, I think I want to do this instead because like my mom's last conversation with me, she kind of imparted probably the best advice I ever got in my life where she was just like, you know, don't do what you think you have to do with your life. Do what you want to do with your life. You only get one shot at this. You, know, you don't want to live with any regrets. So, you know, do what you want to do. And she didn't flat out tell me, don't be a teacher, go into acting. But I, I, I talked to my dad after I made this decision. It's like, yeah, that's what she was trying to tell you. She just didn't, we didn't want to tell you what to do with your life. We want right. you to figure it out for yourself. So it's like, oh, cool. That's yeah, great. It, it's so that's weird how I, I changed. It's weird how like a, a passing of a parent, because both my parents have uh, passed. And I feel like after each oh, one, it kind of like made me make a, a, a more concerted effort into kind of moving forward with what i wanted to do like you said opposed to kind of like what you because it's that kind of realization of like hey we're not here for very long and and why be unhappy exactly exactly it's just the carpe diem type of thing it's yeah just, and i'm so glad i did that because yeah i i've had so many amazing experiences already in my life and i feel like i'm just getting started now it's like this is stuff i would have never experienced had I just stayed in uh, as a, a elementary school teacher in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. So going from an elementary school teacher to something like a comic con and someone comes up and knows you for your work and is asking for your autograph. Like what was that surreal? Did, I mean, like, has it still kind of 
sunk in? It, it, no, it still has not sunk in yet. It, it's it's especially when I because I get some fans that are just so excited that they're shaking and in tears and everything. I'm like, this is like it's, it's only me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just me. I'm I'm like I'm the nerd that was pushed into lockers back in the day that no one would ever invite to parties and stuff like that. I was I was the shy kid and. I'm like, it's weird to see people freak out over me. And I'm like, it's I'm just me. I, I eat and shit like everybody else. But at the same time, I, it's, it's nice to know that I, I have that effect on people where they're, they're just, you know, I've, I've brought some kind of joy to their life in that way where they get that excited. And when you started the transition from teacher to actor, did you just cold turkey quit and just be like, this is what I'm doing? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I, I went in and talked to my um, professors and the deans of the department. I'm like, guys, I, I, I've i come to a realization that I, you know, first of all, I, I need to take a year off of my life just to get my head back in the game. Mm-hmm. I'm in a bad place right now. And my professors had noticed that too. They had noticed that, you know, that past year I was really could just, I was a different person. Yeah. Cause I was, I was basically the, the ideal teacher in my department. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to be the president of the, the honor society for teachers, all that kind of stuff. I was just like, and they're like, there's, they're like, we were actually going to talk to you too. They, we think you might need a year. <laughs> yeah. To like just, get your head back in the game. It's like, yeah, I think I do need to do that. But I'm like, also, I don't think I want to be a teacher anymore. I, cause I had done theater there at my college as well. I, I just did it on the side. And so my professors had seen me in productions. They're like, yeah, they're like, you're really good. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, that makes sense. I, you know, if that's what you want to do, go do it. So it was like, it was, it was one of those very freeing things where I, I didn't, feel like I was really letting people down and I was afraid that that's what I was going to do. But my, my professors understood as well. Yeah. I went to a small college. So it was kind of nice because you had the, that kind of personal relationship with people in your department, as opposed to like a lot of colleges where you're just like one of 500 students in a class. Right. So it's like, they all got to know me very well. And they're like, yeah, it's like, we, we think you would be a great addition to the teaching profession. It, you'd be great for children, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, this is your life to live. And you actually do have talent in that area. So why not? It's like you can, they even said, it's like, you, you know, you can always go back into teaching if you want to. Right. You can, yeah. all, you, you, you can get recertified or whatever you need to do if it doesn't pan out. But go ahead and do that. And see, to me, I always find that um, it, it's very common parental advice is to be like, oh, you should pursue your acting, but have a fallback. And I'm, I think yeah. fallbacks are death because it gives it yeah. because it is exactly what it is. It's a fallback. It gives you kind of that safety net and yeah. takes away some of the immediacy and like need to succeed because you're like, well, you know, it, it does. that that didn't go how I wanted. So I can kind of just go back to my my day job. Yeah. 
but at the same time, I was like, I just didn't want to go back into the classroom. <laughs> it was like that. That was that was the weirdest thing. It just I felt like that day there was like this giant burden just lifted off my shoulders. Like, wow, I don't have to do lesson plans. I don't have to sit here and do conferences and blah blah blah. All the stuff. I don't have to sit here and take crap off of parents. Yeah. That yeah, are so I was, angry that I put their perfect little child in time out because he threatened <laughs> another kid with a knife. Yeah, and I was just like that kind of stuff. It's like, <laughs> I don't have to deal with that anymore. This is nice. I can basically be my own boss in a way. It's yeah. like this is <sighs> <laughs> So what but, was like uh, what was like the first gig that you got uh, <clears throat> after leaving the teaching? <laughs> Waiting tables. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I did that for 13 years, but, you know, that was, but that, you know, at the same time, I was like, I, I, this is not my profession. Waiting tables is just my job right now to help put food on the table, but this is not my profession. So that was one of the things I was like, I don't take it nearly as seriously as the people that ran the businesses I was working at, where they would get upset with me if I had to ask off work for a few shifts because I had a gig. Right. They're like, but this is your job. I'm like, yes, this is my job, but this is not what I moved to New York (laughs) City for. So my profession will always take, you know, know, number one priority over waiting tables because I can always get another job waiting tables if I have to. I can't always get another paying gig that can lead to more paying gigs and bigger things for me. And so that. That, that was that was something I had to like realize even yeah. here because you you get comfortable just doing your day to day nine to five job waiting tables, and you're like oh, okay cool and then I and then but you, then you're not going out and doing auditions mm-hmm. and you know trying to further your career and and I that's really what helped lead to um, me getting in Terrifier because I used to do that where I would just go back I, I would do my tour with Grinch. And then I'd come back and just go back into waiting tables for a year and then go back and do the tour again. And sometimes I'd do small little jobs between, but I was so more just focused on, you know, okay, Grinch is my, my thing I do in the fall. Then I come back and wait tables. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't keep doing that. So I took about four months off just to focus purely on auditioning. And so every single day I was basically going to auditions and pounding the pavement and really focusing. And, and I had been up for like four or five different Broadway tours mm-hmm. and they all fell through for one reason or another. Like they, one of them literally came down to a coin flip. They couldn't decide between me and the other actor. And I thought I had lost this coin flip because you know, I didn't get cast because of it. But I realized if I had gotten any of those, I would not have been able to either audition for Terrifier or have been able to film Terrifier. Right. So at the end of all that, that's when that, that audition for Terrifier came up and it, boom, there you go. And that changed everything. And so I'm, I'm so glad I had that realization that I need to focus on my career right now instead of my job. And that's and always one of those hard things is to kind of take that disappointment in, in stride as like, it's like you said, it seems like you lost the coin flip, but you know, did you, you know, it's exactly. I actually won that coin flip. It just not the way I expected. Yeah. So what is it about clowns that freaks the shit out of people? Like, why is it clowns? 
I I think it's the the treading the 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 line of the uncanny valley. Because they're they're human like, but they're also not human like, and I think that can be very, very confusing to people. Because you know they, they you can tell it's a human being, but it's the costume, the makeup is all so elaborate, so exaggerated, and I mm-hmm. think that all their movements are exaggerated. Everything's exaggerated. With their, everything's amplified, and I think that's what can be so dis, disconcerting to people. And then you have people that have done stuff as clowns, like Gacy. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have the movies that just compounds onto that fear, I think. It, and, and to me, it's kind of interesting how, you know, like the, the, you know, quote unquote normal clowns at the circus or whatever. Like the first thing you do is like push your kid towards them and be like, hey, go get a balloon animal. And yeah, the kids are always terrified. It's like, yeah. it, it seems. I mean, he had Ronald McDonald too. It's like, here, come buy this food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, what was your favorite part about filming Terrifier? Oh gosh, I I mean, my favorite scene in that was the the um the the pizzeria scene mm-hmm. because that's also why it was probably my favorite part too. It was just it's. I, I, I got to play around so much in that scene. I got to explore all the different facets of the character. Oh, no. Did I lose you? Oh, you're back. Okay, good. My my internet decided to be stupid for a second there. I think that's funny. It, it so like I've been having the worst Wi-Fi issues at my office, so I've been recording from home, and this is the second Zoom interview in a row where the other person had issues, and I'm like, oh great, uh, now it's ro- <laughs> technology. Oh, uh, you gotta love it. Yeah, it's just like I. It's like my laptop does this sometimes. I don't know if it's my laptop or just the um the internet connection too, where it's just like, it's just so stupid. Sometimes it's just like, uh, and I wonder if it's like, since COVID so many people have been like working from home and putting demands on like just the bandwidth in their normal neighborhood. Oh yeah. Well, it's when you find out like, you know, how, um, the, the internet, our internet speeds here in the U S are so much worse than they are in like Europe. Like Europe apparently has much better internet. Really? Yeah. Huh. Is it just a, um, because it's smaller? I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I think it has, yeah, it, I, I think it has something just to do with like the, 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 the bandwidth or something <laughs> like I, I don't know. That's all stuff that's out of my, <laughs> my area. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know, I don't know why I'm asking you for Wi-Fi. I mean, no offense, yeah. but like, you don't but have to act as well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just tell me action. Yeah. <laughs> Now, if you give me the script and it has all that jargon in it, like, oh, I'll make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but here I'm just like, I said something. I don't know. Internet go yay. <laughs> I always say, you know, like, you know, something will be wrong with my car and someone will be like, what happened? I'm like, uh, the magic elf died, I guess. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I, I used to tell people it's the squirrel and the little wheel died and I had to find a new squirrel. Yeah. Uh, so I think we were talking about the pizzeria scene. Yes, the pizzeria yeah. scene. Yeah, that that was just my favorite scene because, like, I I don't know what all you heard before it went, but um, 
I, I would say that was my favorite scene because you, you oh, oh my cat just totally nibbled on my foot for some. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why, why, kitty, why? It's like you, you I did nothing to you. Oh, I swear this cat's schizo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all cats are schizo. Yeah, it's just like she's just like nuzzling up against my foot for a second there, and then chomp. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's not soul food. Bad joke. That's a dad joke. That's a dad joke for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I am so. God, I I'm like I'm not a dad yet, but I have so many dad jokes. It's so bad. Uh, my favorite dad joke, and I may have told on the podcast before, but I'm gonna tell it again. Is there's two wind turbines out in a field, and the first one turns the second one and says, "Do you like country music?" And the second one says, "No, I'm a big metal fan." I like that. It's my absolute favorite. I love them. I love those jokes. Oh God. <laughs> and and I, I I do have kids and they will they will send me dad jokes. It's it's great. So oh, they have a real wonderful. appreciation for it. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I'm I'm always looking for a pun. So I'm just like I, I have so much fun because I, I I consider it a, a good mental challenge just to come up with new puns. Like, uh. So what was the one we were trying to do the other day? Um. We we're trying to come up with a bear pun because we do, we do that type of thing all the time. Where we'd be like, mm-hmm. "Oh, if dogs were artists, you know, like it'd be Paw Casso or something like you know." Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember now. I think it was like a comic bear or something. We were trying to like figure out a bit. Oh no, it might have been an artist bear because we were in an art thing, and like we were literally <laughs> to the point where we're like, "All right, we got to get back to work," but you know, everyone go do what you're doing and come back with a bear pun, and like none of us could like come up with a good one. God, I, I guess you would have to pause for a second to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. back back to back to yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, uh, pizzeria. Yeah, the, the pizzeria scene. <laughs> pizzeria scene. But yeah, that's the I, I love doing that scene because he saw every facet of the character, and I got to play around with him a lot. And so you you saw his like his evil side. You saw his just like you know crazy just killer side in it. But he also saw his playful creepy side. And but I, I did get to improv a lot in yeah. that scene, which was a lot of fun for me. And that's I think that's when Damien and I really discovered each other in that way is like the relationship we were going to have with each other because we did that that scene very early on in the, the film. And after that, he was just like, "Oh wow, okay, you you can just play around with things." So he he would he would do other scenes. It's like okay, that he I would do a take that he liked, you know, he how he wanted it. And then he's like, okay, Dave, now you just play around with it, see what you can come up with. And, and then, and that, that of course led into Terrifier 2 as well when he was writing the script. He, because like when he wrote Terrifier 1, he didn't know me. Mm-hmm. He didn't know what I was like as an actor. And so for Terrifier 2, he, he knew that. And he's like, okay, I'm going to write some scenes just around David's style now. And where he just, there are at least two scenes in the film where it's just like, art plays dave does he, something he, creepy <laughs> yeah he, he's just like he's in this environment and he just plays with what's in the environment he didn't even really write out what was because like those are the things we're just going to discover when we're on set mm-hmm. and see what's in the surroundings and then you just play with whatever is in your surrounding i'm like that sounds awesome and yeah. that's what we did and those are some of my favorite scenes that we filmed in part two even because i was like i i just get to play and have fun 
and you know we did so many different takes on especially this one scene i'm like there there are more takes that he doesn't use because he just couldn't put everything in than what he's right. actually using in the film it's just like but i'm like yeah we can use those if we do like you know an outtake reel or something mm-hmm. like that so we we can show people all the different variations that i was doing for this one little bit here which is a lot of fun i feel like that's what actors really enjoy doing is kind of that that play and I was watching last night on Netflix. They have uh, the movies that made us. Yes, I just and watched I was, the the Back to the Future one. I was watching the Ghostbusters one, and they were talking about how Ooh. like every time Bill would like come through a door, he'd have a different line, or like you know yeah. when he's playing the keys on the piano, they're like he just decided to do that, and that's like, just it, great. Yeah, it, I love that kind of stuff because it just it. I think you know forever it just keeps things fresh, right. And I even did that as a stage actor. I would sometimes do that with, um, it just depended on the play or the director or whatever. But I would do, I I remember this one play I did in college, every performance for this one entrance, I would come out with a different line. And it was always some kind of joke or something like that. And and so it was, that was always so much fun for me. So I, I, I would just sit there and I'll just come up with new lines all the time. Or I would just, I didn't even know what I was going to say until I walked through that door and then boom. And it's just like, it's, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Did you ever get one that like really killed? And then you're like, shit, what was it? I can't remember what yeah, I said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, but those, those are great moments too, where you're just in the middle of it and something brilliant just comes out and you're like, Whoa, that was so cool. I wish I could do that again. <laughs> so i mean being a kind of you know iconic horror character is pretty remarkable but it, i mean are there other things kind of on on your actor bucket list that you're kind of like shooting for oh god yeah i mean i i, I would say probably the 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 biggest one is you know it's my lifelong dream is to play the joker oh really I, I've, I've played him on a, a web series you know, but you know that that's different. I, I want to actually play him legit professionally, and you know, do that. And because I, I love the character so much, he's my favorite villain of all time. I look like him, so I'm like, hey, <laughs> he's he's just the purest villain. He has no yeah. other motivation other than mayhem. Yeah, and that's what I love about him, and he's got some of the best monologues too. So, who's just, your favorite Joker? Oh, Mark Hamill, easily. Okay. That's okay. Just like, Everyone yeah. says that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just he he totally encapsulates the character and he does it purely with his voice. But when you see him in the booth, too, he's fully in character. You just see him become Joker and it's just like, oh, God, this is great. So, like, a lot of my Joker is based on his Joker. Yeah. I, I, I was always a big a Heath Ledger that. fan. I mean, yeah. It was one of those when he was cast as the Joker. I'm like, that makes no sense. This oh, I was boy. so upset. Yeah. I was. I, I had that same pretty boy. I said the same thing. He's like, yeah. he's a pretty boy. He's not right for Joker. He looks nothing like him. What the heck are you doing casting the guy from Knight's Tale? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Then I saw his performance. I'm like, holy shit, I was wrong. Yeah, the moment he drove that pencil into the guy's head, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, the- this is uh-huh. like... <laughs> <laughs> that i love that moment i was like oh my god i actually went back and watched the movie a second time in the theaters because i just enjoyed his performance so much i just it's uh, it's so good it's i mean it's over the top and subtle at the same time yeah yeah 
I mean, granted, he really wasn't the Joker of the comic books because he he was kind of like a depressed Joker. Mm-hmm. He, he wasn't the big <laughs> all the time. He was just kind of okay. Well, this is what we're gonna do. <laughs> but it was just like his he he had so much so much gravitas. Mm-hmm. It's like you you. Yeah, I mean, I remember sitting there. I'm like, okay, it's the scene that he's not in. I'm like, ah, get the next Joker scene. <laughs> yeah, fast forward, like, fast forward. Yeah, 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 Batman, yeah. whatever. Uh, get to Joker. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the one that I kind of think most of being comic book like is the old 1960s Batman. Oh yeah, Romero, yeah. of course. Romero, yeah. He he was he he was the most accurate to the comic book, especially at that time. Yeah, because I mean that that show was I mean it was set up to be a comic you know live action oh, yeah. comic book you know. Yeah, but. which is you you could tell they had so much fun doing it. They were just like, yeah, let's just be crazy. It's just so tongue in cheek, and I love it. Yeah. So having gone through. Um, you know, worldwide pandemic and hopefully coming out. I don't know where you're located. So I talked to people, some people are still in lockdown. Some people are completely, you know, no restrictions, but like, yeah. What have you learned going forward as far as acting? Do you think, um, you know, auditions are all going to be video now because it seems like that's the way things were done last year. Has productions changed? Like what, what's the future going to be like? Ah, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's, Going off of the audition thing, that's oh god. <laughs> I I I you know I, I think other actors can relate to this, but I absolutely hate self tape auditions. Absolutely hate them. Really? Yeah, because it's like I, I I'm I'm too concerned about what I'm doing when I'm doing. It. I, I'm watching myself instead of just letting whatever happened happen. Like I oh. do the audition room and stuff okay. like that. Because you, know, you you go back you you because you I, I will do so many different takes because I'm so nitpicky mm-hmm. and I'm just like oh it's, it's I hate it I hate it I hate it I get too much in my head. Oh, it's and funny because it, a lot of actors had said they really like it, but I totally understand oh, I, what you're saying. I absolutely hate it. Plus, um, you don't have direction. It's like when mm-hmm. you're in like when I do auditions usually before the pandemic, you know, I'm in there with a casting director and that's, you know, that's what they're called. They're called casting directors. They give you direction because they know what they want to see. And so if you do a a take, you might do a take that they've never seen before. And they're like, Oh wow, that's really cool. But then they also might have, but it might be totally completely opposite of what they're actually looking for. Yeah. And, and that way you can, they can sit there and say, okay, now I love what you just did. That's a really cool take, but let's try it this way. Mm-hmm. And that will totally change your performance. And, but then you're able to give them what they want. Right. right. When you're doing these self takes, you don't know exactly what they want. And so you don't get that kind of direction to where they can actually you know, guide you in a, a direction that they want and you can really give them what they want so they can see what you can truly do. And they're less likely to reach back out and be like, Hey, can you try it yeah. this way? Yeah. Opposed to just being like, yeah. meh, nope. Next. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes I've gotten cast just by the, the interaction I've had with the casting director in the room because something happens like a perfect example. This is when I went in for my audition for Gotham, I was doing the audition as was, and I got, 
I, I, I choked on a, a, a thing of phlegm in my yep. throat and I just started coughing. And instead of just stopping and like, I'm so sorry, uh, let me restart. I kept going with the scene and just integrated that into the scene and started, I just, it, 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 it was just this beautiful moment where it's like, because I was talking about, you know, I was dumping uh, Butch Gilzine, you know, uh, um, you know, Butch Gilzine, Cyrus Gold, you know, that was his other name, you know, mm-hmm. in, on the show, you know, into Slaughter Swamp, where he becomes Solomon Grundy. Yeah. And so I was, it was the whole thing. I'm dumping it. I had just dumped his body in and I'm like, and so I just made this whole thing. It's like, move over, Butch. I'm, I'm about to die, too. So <laughs> I, I just made this whole routine in, in. And the casting director is laughing her butt off. But I also went from that straight back into the scene. Right. And she's like, that was awesome. Yeah. And she, but you also want to do it the real way, too. So we actually have the, the real way on tape, too. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I, I, I know that that's what got me the role. Right. That I was able to just do something completely different. And I could show my real ability there to just keep going with the scene and come up with something even better than what was actually written. And, and I, that's the thing. That's when, you're, when you're in the room with people, you can actually engage with them in that way and have those kind of moments where they can – and they get to know you as a person as opposed to like, okay, hi, my name is David Thornton and this is blah, blah scene. Thank you. It's just, it's so impersonal. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there, there is something to, to be said about kind of getting to know the person that you're going to be working with and be like, yeah. okay, they're good and easy to work with. You know that, I mean, that's got to be exactly a, a big exactly. deal. It, it, it is such a, it's a, such a difference. It's just because I like to have that kind of direction at times. Cause then I'm like, now I know what you want. So I know what to give you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, do you have anything coming up project wise that you can talk about? Yeah. I mean, first of all, of course, terrifier Two. we finally just wrapped. So, uh, Damien's about to have meetings with, uh, our original distributors to see what kind of things they can work out there. If that doesn't work, we'll probably try to find another distribution and stuff like that. So who knows? <laughs> I, I think anybody would be stupid not to pick this up right now. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, I mean, like you said, when it was on Netflix, I mean, you got Netflix, you got things like shutter yeah. that, I mean, yeah. I I I I I hear through the grapevine that Shutter's very interested right now. So yeah, yeah, I, I can't say how I know that, but is you know officially on here. But I was like, I know there's some people interested. So it's like, I I think anybody would be stupid to pass on this right now because it's guaranteed money maker. Right. So, yeah, it's it's, it's like, a yeah, proven like, quantity. I, yeah, it's not like yeah, any. it's it's got such a huge following. Like yeah, I understand like when we had part one come out because we're this low budget independent film that no one knew about really, except for people that had seen all Hallow's Eve. So I understand why it was hard at first, but now it's just like, okay, this is a proven quantity a commodity. I mean, it's so like, yeah. So, like, so was the budget significantly larger this time compared to what we had in the first one? Yeah. Cause uh, this shocks people all the time. I tell them because even what they have written online is wrong, but uh, the budget for the first one was only $50,000. Wow. 
that is we made that movie super low for fifty thousand dollars it's like when damien told me that i almost crapped my pants i i, I was laughing for about five minutes because i could not believe that we did that i'm like wow it's just he it, he knows how to you know use his budget in the right way and i think sometimes having a smaller budget forces you to be creative with things as well that's kind of what i was going to ask was there like uh things that you think were less good because you had a larger budget no because even for part two we didn't have a huge budget we didn't even have a million dollar budget for part two i mean part two is primarily funded by the fans yeah, like the biggest chunk of the movie was funded by the fans. Like, uh, you know, we get, got like about two hundred thousand dollars off the uh, Indiegogo campaign, so that really helped us. So, but I mean, even with that, we pulled off amazing things with even that budget because most low budget films are filmed for at least one to five million dollars, right? And we didn't even have that, so it's like it, it's a true testament to the the talent of the cast and crew that we have pulled off what we have pulled off i'm like there's this one scene especially where i'm like i cannot believe we did this especially with our budget i'm like this is this is where a lot of our budget went to but i'm like wow we have all these stunts going on pyrotechnics all this kind of stuff like this is wow we made a real movie here (laughs) (laughs) this is awesome but that's it's just but we we have had those moments where uh it has forced us to be creative because something goes wrong like there's a scene in the movie. I don't think I'm spoiling much because this is not what we actually filmed. But it was just it was filmed where I'm supposed to crash through a window mm-hmm. and go after one of my victims. And so we were set to uh, film that, and they were putting the glass in, and it shattered, and we didn't have a backup thing of glass, and we're like, "Oh God, this is the big thing we're supposed to film today." what are we going to do? We have to do something. We, we can't, we can't just pause and come back in a few days to film this. What are we going to do? And so Damien and I put our heads together and, you know, and the rest of like the, the crew, we're all like, okay, what can we do? What can you do? And we're like, okay, well, we'll do this instead. We still have that shattered glass. We'll do this. And we came up with this whole entire scene that you'll see in the movie that wasn't in the script at all. Yeah. And we just made it up right there on the spot. And I think it's fucking brilliant. I'm just like, you've never seen anything like this happen in a horror movie before. And it's so much more like something art would do than him just simply crashing through a window and going after somebody. You've seen that so many times. Right. This is a variation on that. And I think it's, brilliant and i think it's even more disturbing in that way because like oh god that's that's creepy it's anything you know and it's funny at the same time yeah and it's just so in character and i'm like i'm so it's one of those things like i'm kind of glad this moment happened because we would never have thought of this scene and and sometimes i think that the actor gets to know their character so well that you know it helps to be like well what would your character do i know there's like a a Joss Whedon thing where um, he's working on Firefly and he said to uh, Nate Fillion, he goes, say something that Mal would say. Yeah. You know, it's just like, I'm not going to write it because you're Mal, you know, Mal, you, you, you do him. And, you know, of course, Line made yeah, the that, movie because it was exactly yeah. what he would say. And th- that's how I felt with art this time around. Cause like the first film, I was really discovering the character. Yeah. 
It's like, cause that's when I first came in, I sat down the chair with Damien my first day in the makeup when I was doing the makeup test. I'm like, tell me everything about this character. Tell me his background. Tell me why he does this, blah, 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 blah. And Damien's like, I really don't know. I haven't really thought all that kind of stuff out. I'm like, you created him. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I just thought he looked cool and it was just this, but it's like, but Hey, that's a great thing. Like, let's come up with this together. So that's what we did in part one. But all that was done while we're filming. So we're discovering new things about the character while we're filming. We're developing his personality more while we're filming part one. Part two, I'm like, now I know him. Mm-hmm. Now, and But we're still discovering new things with him in part two as well. He's still evolving as a character, especially after coming back from the dead. So it's like, oh, wow, he's discovering still new things about him. But he, there's a new confidence I had with him. Yeah. Like, okay, now I understand his core being what motivates him, why he does what he does and what, what that would make him do in certain situations. It's like he, especially with his, how he just loves to fuck with people. So it, you met, you, Oh, sorry. Go on. Oh, oh, that, because that's kind of something we uh, added in there when we were doing part one, it was like, it's not just him fucking with people, but how he kind of has a little wink to the audience after he does something really bad. Yeah. It's just, that's something we added more into him. It's like, yeah, it's like he does something really bad, but it's also, it's, there's also always some kind of punchline with it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the makeup, like how is that a part of it you enjoy? Is it just part of like, well, that's what's got to happen. Do you like, (laughs) it's pretty significant. Oh yeah. 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 Like when I did part one, especially when it's, it's a, it takes about three to four hours sometimes to put it on. Depends how much, he has to do with the blood and sometimes battle damage. So like when I had my eye gouged out in the first one. And so, you know, it, it's a process and it's like, it's tiring. It's, it can be, very, especially when you're doing it day after day, after day, after day, you're like, Oh God, here we go again. Cause you know, Damien and I are always the first people on set. Right. So we have to show up in an hour or so before everybody else, just so he can get started on the makeup. So it's, it's, it's like, uh, so at first I was like, Oh God, this is, I'm going to have so many days of this. Uh, but after a while you just get so used to it and it goes by so much faster. It's just like, and, and usually Damien and I are just shooting the shit the whole entire time we're doing it. And we got music playing. So it's just like, yeah, it goes by really fast. So I, I've gotten so used to it now. We, we've gotten it down to a science. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's just, it, but it can be a hassle because like, um, what he, he, like the mask that we've used in part one and part two, we're hoping to change it for part three where it's a better mask, but it's like, it's been a gelatin mask. And so it, it falls apart pretty easily. Right. Unfortunately, especially when it has liquids. So my mouth is always falling apart. And hmm. so he's always having to like do things like he have to cut up like, um, pieces of bald cap and like glue it to my face and paint over it just to heal my mouth or he'll just throw more blood on my mouth just to cover <laughs> up the cracks and everything yeah. like that. It's, it's such a pain in the ass. And you've probably seen photos of me from part two where I'm walking around. And I have two like um, uh, Q-tips sticking out of my nose. I kind of look like a walrus. And I did that just because so, we're filming a lot in the winter in very cold environments and it would make my nose run. Right, right. And so I would put those up in my nose to stop my nose from running into my makeup because it would disintegrate the mask and it would just start falling apart. And, you know, like when you're you know having to wear that for like 15 plus hours, you, you don't want to waste time having to constantly go back and, you know, 
get touched up again because that sometimes takes like 45 minutes for him to fix everything. Yeah. It's like when you're on a time schedule, you want to do whatever you can to keep, you know, everything going. So, so hopefully our listeners remember that, you know, walking around in the cold after three hours of makeup with Q-tips up your nose is still better than teaching kids. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would have to remind myself that too at times because it's like, God, it's like, you know, six o'clock in the morning, you've been going for almost 20 hours. You're just like, Oh, the is better than teaching. <laughs> it's like, remember what you're doing this for. You're, you're suffering for your art literally and figuratively right now, but it's going to be worth it. And, and we would have those moments because, God, we had moments on set, like this one location especially made, I think, everybody in the cast and crew crack at one point. Yeah. Where it's just like the exhaustion set in and it was so cold and miserable everybody cracked at one point and it's like that's how how much you know that we become a family because everybody would have their moment they would just lose their shit for a second or so and have a little hissy fit and i'm like and they're like it's okay we understand <laughs> like we're all fucking miserable right now <laughs> it's just like it's okay no one's really mad at you it's like yeah, i'm not gonna hold against you because i'm gonna snap yeah. tomorrow <laughs> yeah yeah as like even some people you would not expect this one person to crack and they finally cracked they're like oh wow it must be bad because that person cracked because that yeah. person's always lollipops fun bag you're like woo, yay cheerleader and they're like they're like, <laughs> like, oh wow, yeah, okay. This place has got everybody. Nice. <laughs> but that's so, that's family for you. They they accept it. They're like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Dave, where can our listeners go to uh, keep in touch and follow what you got going on? Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. I also f- I forgot to tell you too. Uh, oh. There are other things I'm working on too. Oh sure, I'm sure. Sorry, wor- sorry. Go on. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm working on another horror film with a lot of the Terrifier film. Uh, a lot. Man, of- <laughs> it's a Monday morning. Um, it is a lot of the Terrifier team. There we go. It's called Stream. And okay. um, Mike Levy, who was the exterminator in the first one that I decapitated, he's directing it, and like Damien's doing the practical effects for it. But this this film's so cool too. I, I can't tell you what's about necessarily, but it's we have so many horror alumni in this film. Oh, cool! Like big names of the horror industry that yeah. are in this film, and they might just have cameos here or there. But um, but it's 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 the whole it's oh my god, it's so cool. It's a cool concept. It's something we're hoping is going to become another franchise as well. Nice. And I, I I'm supposed to finally film my last scene later on this month. In, in August that as we had to delay it because we actually had to build a huge set for this because we couldn't find a location for it but it's going to be awesome awesome kill scene so it's just, it's, it's 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 enough of a movie where we we knew we were doing it right when we're filming in a hotel and this woman comes out and she sees me walking by her room covered in blood and the, the, the costume I'm wearing she comes out I just want you to know that what you're doing is very effective. We are second amendmenters and you almost got shot. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, like thank oh, you. Wow. <laughs> like, thank you. I almost died. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, this is, so what we're doing is very effective apparently. So uh, we have that. And I recently also filmed a, uh, um, a sizzle reel. I don't know if you saw it. Where um, it's for Night of the Living Dead two, and oh. I'm playing this 
big zombie, a shark bait zombie, and you do not know it's me because I'm wearing a fat suit. Oh, nice! And, like the makeup on this is amazing. It's just uh, so good, and they they've got a lot of the original cast from uh, some of the dead movies to come back for this as oh, well. Cool. So we're hoping it's going to be we're going to get someone behind it so we can make this a full fledged movie. So it's exciting. It's very exciting. And I'm also working on a voiceover project for uh, HBO Max for children. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, I, so they haven't seen your like, other stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I do a lot of voiceover work for animation as well for like little ones, which is in that way I still am doing stuff for kids. So it's kind of cool. Nice. <clears throat> but as where as you can find me and everything, sorry, I got a little choked up, limped. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you can you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under David Howard Thornton. And I also have a cameo page. Um, I think it's David H. Thorne. So if you know, you want me to do a birthday video or whatever, shout out to somebody, you can find me on cameo. And I don't charge that much on there compared to what a lot of other people charge. Cause I'm like, Hey, I, 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 I charged 50. I recently upped it to 50. I'm like, okay, I see everybody else to charge. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I guess I need to up it some people. <laughs> so, but I, I don't want people to go broke. Right, because right. I see some people charge like over two thousand dollars on there for a video. I'm like, that's, that's ridiculous. crazy. Yeah, I charge basically what I charge for like an autograph at a convention, mm-hmm. or like a, the com- a combo for an autograph and a, a picture. So I'm like, I figure that's fair. Yeah, I, I don't want you know, I, I don't want to charge more than that. It just seems like eh, not everybody's rich. Yeah, be you, as you don't want to take advantage of your fans either. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you want to be accessible in that way. Nice. Well, for for being accessible, thanks for talking to us on a Monday morning. Uh, ah, you're welcome. Yeah, um, it's a good way to start the day. And Thank you. Uh, thanks for dealing with my internet problems too. <laughs> oh, it actually <laughs> it was far better than the ones I I personally have been having. So, uh, oh, that's good. It wasn't a big deal. But uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and for our listeners, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys again next week. All right. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can find us on all social medias at inebriart or on Instagram at inebriart6. You can email us at inebriart at yahoo.com. And make sure you listen to the other podcasts on the Inebriart Podcast Network, including Bar Talk, Old Colony Cast, Retro Redoctopus, America's Hometown Horror Podcast, and our newest one, Theme Park Legends, a podcast about working at theme parks. What else? And we'll catch you again next time.